listeners, this is Jodeci Nightshade, and this is the Night Owl Late Night Podcast. Tonight, Angelina Bruno could not join us. Hopefully, she will be back for our next broadcast. And today, we're going to be talking about mythologies and how they how they affect the story we read today. One of the authors I remember growing up that I loved and adore that used mythologies was Rick Riordan in his Percy Jackson series, which has, I believe it has four or five books, if I remember correctly. The first one's The Lightning Thief, for those of you who want to start reading it. Um, and Rick Riordan has done the gamut of mythologies in his series. He's gone to the Cain Chronicles with two twins, Carter and Sadie, who have magician-like abilities, and that are their powers are based around Egyptian mythology. And the Magnus Chase series I have not read, but I have heard has to do with Norse mythology. So he really does cover the whole spectrum of mythology. And I'm reading this book by Neil Gaiman, who. It's The View from the Cheap Seats, and he writes introductions for books for other authors who use a lot of mythology in their stories and a lot of references to mythology in their stories. And he tends to think that mythologies are just compost for other stories. We have this metaphorical story garden where we put compost and other things all our knowledge is just composting 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 and the stories we make out of them are often um are often the plants that come from that come from the compost and everything just feeding off of this fertile ground that we've made with all our knowledge and references and that's where our stories come from and that's how they grow and this is a lot similar to what I believe about mythologies. I feel like they are pre-laid out maps of how to write stories. They're like a good way to, not a beginner's guide, but like, but like a, an outline, if you will, of, of stories that have been told for ages and ages and have lived on and stood the test of time because they were that good. It's your guideline on how to write a good story. And you can use those references, even some of those characters, in your own version of the, the, the myth. So, that's how I feel about myth, mythology. And I apologize in advance because tonight's podcast is going to be... A, somewhat shorter than the last episode because my co-host as I said earlier is not here and so I'll be moving through the topics a little more quickly than usual and we're approaching our fourth minute and I'm going to go into the next topic a little bit um oh one thing first that there is the Dark Heaven series by Kylie Chan that I brought up in the first episode as one of my top five favorite books. And it has a lot of Chinese mythology in it and a lot of Toism. And I think it is very well written. It is 600 pages, as I mentioned in the last podcast. 
And to give a quick recap, it's about a nanny who who takes takes care of a Chinese businessman's daughter named Simone in Hong Kong and she was working as a kindergarten teacher over there for another older Chinese woman and Kitty Walk I think is the name of the first woman that she works for and then she goes and works for this Chinese man and comes to find out that he is spoiler alert a Chinese god and his daughter is the equivalent of a demigod and in the book they call them Shen and they learn about martial arts and there's this bodyguard named Leo and they get along great and he's like the comedy relief of the story and it's all really wonderful um and you have your dash of romance of course because the because the two main characters are um, Emma and the Chinese businessman whose name I cannot remember right now but they have their own love story and such and such and he has his own dark past and I'm not going to give everything away because what would then be the fun of reading it so that's another book that uses myth as part of its foundation um Okay, so moving on to our next topic, how artists are perceived in society. I feel like artists are perceived in the way that they they just... Something about mental illness, depression, and the like are go hand in hand with artists. And most often, you feel like artists particularly writers I feel like maybe this is my own bias as a writer myself that artists and suicide go together quite frequently because there are writers like Virginia Woolf, Sylvia Plath and and Ernest Hemingway have all committed suicide and were all writers and I feel like there's this this connection to that and and I don't know what the connection is. I feel like I feel like it is something we need to change, it, or or maybe that having mental illness in some way gives you a layer of pain or a perspective that a lot of people don't have, and maybe that extra perspective gives them the ability to write more more broadly or like in a different way because everyone can write everyone has their own unique perspective everyone can write but I feel like when you have that kind of unspoken pain that you live with every day and because of the stigmas in society surrounding mental illness that sometimes um a lot of it gets pent up in the person and they don't have a have an outlet for it to come out and then maybe that's why they write and that's why especially in the olden days and times of Sylvia Plath, Virginia Woolf and Ernest Hemingway when mental illness was had an even worse um perception in society and there were asylums and and you were you were treated like like you were a disease or diseased or you just had to be stayed away from or something was wrong with you or you need to be pent up or any one of those things 
So I imagine it must have been hard to express your pain or your struggles with mental illness or depression, which some authors like Sylvia Plath and Virginia Woolf have been known to have during their lives. Now that now that we have looked back at their lives, we know that they had depression and things like that. So I feel like it would be hard to express that pain in any other way other than art or writing in particular. And maybe, maybe writing was the main medium that comes to mind because in those days, there was a lot of modernism in art and modernism in art is the simplistic kind of view of art. Like, art was made of, like, squares and rectangles, and there wasn't anything really decorative about it. It was all very sterile and just used the minimal amount of space, especially in art and architecture. It just, like, it just did not have the overly decorated qualities of Victorian style architecture and art and even the darker gothic qualities of gothic art and architecture and things like that. They wanted to do away with all the decoration. They wanted to do away with all that. They wanted it to be simplistic and just simple and not really have a whole lot of detail and design to it. And I feel like that's more, well, not more true of, of architecture. No, I take that back. I do. I do think it's more true in architecture because they felt that it was a, that the house was a box for living in and, and they, or a machine for living in. And they really did treat it like a machine using metals and steel and glass and things like that. Like everyday skyscrapers are are mo- modern architecture um and so i feel like in art like mark ratko you see the squares and the line and one will be like blue and the, and the bottom one will be orange and there'll be a line in the middle of blended paint and that's it all you have to look at and it's very famous it's very famous and you that's all you have to look at and that's just how paintings were perceived as good art back in those days it wasn't like the postmodernism times of um of uh pop art and graffiti and and um i can't remember his name um, I can't remember his name, but one very popular artist, which I will have for you in the next episode, um, and, but more to the point, in postmodernism art, you had the Marilyn Monroe's and the, and the comic looking types of art styles that looked straight out of a comic book, and, and, um, there were photocopies of, of art that weren't even originals anymore. It was just, like, copies of art. It wasn't even the original art anymore. It wasn't an original. It was just a copy. And 
it was so much different, so much more expressive, especially with graffiti, which I'll get into more later in the podcast. And, um, and I feel because of this modern, modernism type era that went on for a long time, like from the 1800s, I would say, all the way to like the 19... 40s and 1950s, maybe the earliest 1930s, and, um, and I feel like because of that, maybe writing was the medium to go for expressing that kind of pain, because now, when I look at art now, art is a way to definitely express pain, because Jackson Pollock, Pollocks look like they take a lot of express, they're, they're, they involve a lot of expression. And it's not just that he splattered paint everywhere and just didn't know where to put it all. He he thought of like how to like put the splatters there, and they oh, and they do look like something. Some some of the more more um, decorative, if you will, paintings look like something. And I personally enjoy Jackson Pollock's. And I if. And with graffiti and other kinds of art and pop art and things like that, I feel like there's more room to express things that that are not the norm, that are not like acceptable, that are not like in the eye, in the public eye at the moment. And I feel that's even true of architecture, where you have these crazy buildings like the Dancing House, and um, even. Even the um, Bauhaus, uh, um, I feel like, is touchstones to postmodernism. The Dancing House much more than the Bauhaus, but the Bauhaus for its time was even postmodern. Um, and I feel like writing may have been the medium to go to because of this, because because writing you could write essays, you can write poetry, and you can write, um, fiction, even fiction has trails of the real in it, in these truths that you, that you can't deny, and I feel like that's one of the reasons why there's this connection between writers specifically and mental illness and depression and things like that, um, Um, and there's also the perception that artists are poor, that artists have to be poor simply because they are artists. And there was this TED talk about artists being poor and the guy tells his brother that brothers that he's going to become an artist after turning away from a uh, microbiology degree and um, his brothers basically tell him that good luck with that because you're going to need it because you're going to be starving and without anything to eat or wear because artists make no money or they thought he was joking or they just didn't respond to him and he's doing very well and he said that if the military or the government would spend as much money as they do in the military, even 0.5% of what they spend in the military, that would pay for like 58 full symphonies, 
grand symphonies and to pay 800,000 artists enough money to to do art and live life off of art. Could you imagine what we could do with 1% of the money they put into the military and just shift it over into the arts? Like, that would be phenomenal. That would blow my mind. And, and I tell you that I just, I feel like he's right. We need a little more funding, a little more help from the government with art. I feel, and, and art and writing. And I feel like there needs to be more independent publishing houses and just like, and popular mainstream publishing houses need to be open to new artists and there has to be more opportunities for new artists, even even art, even writers who who have been established do constantly need help because it's constantly from one book to the next a dogfight. You're trying to figure out what, how you're going to get your next meal ticket with your next book because your next book needs to be popular. Your next whatever needs to be popular because you're living on a lifestyle that has been known to just like either fly or fail and most of the time you fail and you can fail at any given moment and not to scare our listeners or anything but just to say that life as an artist has not been easy and it should be made easier by the government and people who need art because everyone needs art art is a very humane thing and it gives us self-expression and expresses the most important parts of ourselves. And I feel like he was on to something when he was talking about why artists should be poor. And I also feel that art comes in many, many forms. As I said earlier, in the form of graffiti that was, that's been put up since, for decades. And um, there's this one artist, Dustin Yellen who did a video on TED Talk on TED Talks that um that he draws on resin and glass and at first he couldn't continue working on the resin because it would have made him sick he would have died but he found out that he could draw on glass and he makes these whole sculptures these whole like life-size glass creations that look like people are in different forms and and some are growing to heads and some are like the anatomy of the body and it's all really crazy and you should check him out and I, I feel like if there are people doing art like that and, and doing amazing things in whole new ways and even origami and, and, and photography and graffiti and weird well, not weird, but unusual resin and glass art and, and pottery. And there's so many, there's so many mediums to, to create art. I feel like we need to be more open to that and new, crazy, weird things. Weird is good. Weird is different. Weird is, is defining. Weird is not to be expensive. It's not supposed to be an expensive dream. It's supposed to be something that you that you fill with passion and it's supposed to be lucrative and and paying you back <sighs> alrighty um, now we are going to talk about the artist confidence 
which I am going to say I saw a video many, 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 many years ago where where it was made by Irv's Glass where he kind of talked about how he wished that people would tell beginners that more often that their taste and what they create are not going to match up for any given number of years or months or weeks or whatever it is and that we know as writers and artists that our taste in the beginning is killer and uh, that's what got us into the game and now our volume of work is not it's kind of a disappointment to us because it's not it doesn't match up with our taste and um the only way to get through this is to fight through that, to, to do a solid volume of work, to do a whole bunch of work. And he was one of the longest, the people who took the longest to get through this phase at, compared to anyone he knew. And, um, and he was just like, put yourself on a schedule, write, write a page a day, write, write 500 words a day, write, write any little thing you can put down on paper and just say, do your schedule, do your deadlines, meet your deadlines, and eventually your your work will start to please you, your work will catch up with your taste, and that will be enough for you. So, and it's called um, On Creativity or Being Creative, but by Iris Glass, you can find it on YouTube, it's about two minutes long, and it's a really good video, and I was thinking to myself, how do we build artist confidence, how do we tell beginners how to, um, keep going, to, because this is a very important point, that when you're starting out, you're imagining whole worlds, if you're, if you're any kind of artist, really, but speaking to writers, you're imagining whole worlds when you write your fiction stories or you're thinking about whole connections, whole boards of connections, like the red string around an investigation board, going from pin to pin to pin to pin to pin when you write essays and things like that and journalism and all of that. And it's amazing. It's like you, your taste is killer. But the work you're making just doesn't match up it's not as good the style isn't there the voice hasn't matured yet but if you do a volume of work even if you're not published yet you're still a writer you're still a writer and I feel like that's important to say to writers who are beginning especially that being published doesn't make you a writer you're a writer because you write and you're and you just need to keep on going and hopefully someday you will be published hopefully someday you will reach your dream and everything will be settled and you will be a writer in the eyes of society but to yourself and to the people who matter to you you should be a writer anyway and I feel like people need to say that to beginners and just just let them know like like you're doing all right like and peep and please listeners if you know someone who's doing art and or writing or anything creative 
and they want to show you their art and they want you to read their work and their writing please do it please 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 because this is the worst feeling when people don't want to read your stuff and it's and they tell you to take it and that's all well and good take criticism as it comes people aren't always going to want to read your stuff that's true but especially if you're young then you know it's an it should be seen as an honor if a friend wants you to read their work and put themselves out there and like they want your opinion because the worst thing for a writer is silence and that was told to me by my professor at Albertus Magnus College the worst thing a writer can get is silence in a writer's workshop and the second worst thing is probably just love letters it's alright to write love letters to your writers and everything and tell them sweet nothings and whisper sweet nothings in their ears and tell them how much you love their book that's okay but also offer criticisms tell them why you like what you like tell them what works tell them what doesn't tell them what their writing style is what they sound like who they sound like just let them know give them give them an earful because they'll want it they might not know that they want it yet but they will learn that they want it um so i was trying to figure out how else to build up artist confidence and I was thinking that oh I don't know I don't know I'm trying to think back to when I first started writing which feels like eons ago because I started as a very young child um be encouraging if they're young especially because I started out when I was in the fifth grade writing my first book and I remember I wrote it by hand and I made mistakes timeline mistakes they told me my mistakes they they did not when I say encourage I do not say do not you do not erase the mistakes leave the mistakes and tell them the mistakes correct their mistakes but also be encouraging don't discourage the dream because at the, especially at a young age the dream is everything it's all you've got all you've got you're going by the seat of your pants trying to figure out what to do next and it's like a wild roller coaster ride for a lot of it until you find your place in the world until you figure out like hey yeah I'm I can do this this is what I'm meant to do and like everything so and people who are not quote-unquote creative because a lot of people consider themselves not to be creative and will find that once they are encouraged to do creative work that they actually are creative there was this one story in this TED talk about artist confidence that this little boy was making a clay horse in class and the children around him said oh that looks nothing like a clay horse and he just dumped it in in the clay and destroyed it and just never touched anything creative again because of those comments and it's a sad thing to think that it that's all it takes to ruin someone's creativity they'll just go straight into thinking they're just rational they're just logical they're just at whatever it is and and not staunchly be against the fact that they're creative just not any creativity in them is what they'll say and 
they'll find if you give them a chance that they actually are creative and that's the most beautiful thing of all is showing someone how creative they can be and being affirming and being reassuring and encouraging and just telling them like it's okay this is how it is and you can be just as creative as I can be and and welcome other artists welcome other artists because artists and writers and everyone who does creative work needs to be encouraging and help each other out there like Neil Gaiman in the cheap in the view from the cheap seats says that he loves that people in the sci-fi genre when he was writing and first starting out helped him get to where he is today he was he was appraising the genre for having writers that really wanted to help out the new people and really wanted to help out existing writers and just wanted to help out each other and the genre and we all need to be like that across all genres across all mediums of art we all need to be a good a good support system for ourselves and for each other and for our work because our industry, our genres, our, our work, our lives, our passions, and we need to be good support systems for all of that. Otherwise, it's all going to fall apart. And it reminds me of this, of this section of the book, The View from the Cheap Seats, where he predicts, Neil Gaiman predicts to a bunch of um, businessmen who are in the comic industry and he says to them, this bubble of success with the comic industry right now is going to pop. So just to prevent, like, bankruptcy and to prevent, and like, the downfall of the comic industry, just try to sell book, comic books that you feel matter and that customers should read. Not because they're popular, not because they're, not because they're just what's popular right now just do it if it's a good comic if you feel like this is something you would read then give it to your customers and they did not listen to him they had no idea what he was talking about they didn't even find comics all that important they were just an investment item as far as they were concerned and they totally ignored Neil Neil Gaiman's advice to not see comics as an investment item and to tell young people to invest in comics and things like that and all that stuff and eventually just as he predicted the bubble broke and and the comic industry went into a recession and a lot of people lost their stores and lost their quote unquote investments and Sadly for Neil Gaiman, he was right, and he writes about this, and he says that, like, you need to put forth things that you feel matter, and that's what you need to push in an, in an industry, in a, in a shop, whether it be a comic shop or a bookshop, and it's not that hard, just pick, pick a piece or a work every week and put it in the front, put it in a stall, put it in a rack that, that your customers can see, and just give it to them, just, give, just and, or give them back money back guarantee or something like that, or a discount on on that week's book or comic or whatever, and just get the cycle going, get the flow going, get the flow moving. And I feel like that is very true to what I feel about in writing. All right. So that covers all of our topics for tonight. And once again, I am Jodeci Nightshade. And do not forget to leave a voice message for us on anchor.com um, down below. 
night night owls late night podcast um so that we can get questions and suggestions for our next episode and night owls late night podcast is a weekly podcast so we will be back next tuesday and um pleasure to see you all and i'm sure angelina would love to have been here today but alas she couldn't so so i bid you adieu until next time listeners Jodeci Nightshade.